0: Welcome to ElectionSpeakers.com, a nonpartisan analysis of the speaking skills of major political candidates and others affecting your voting decisions. Here are your hosts for ElectionSpeakers.com, Laurie Schloss and Dr. Dennis Becker.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Dennis Becker, and this is a special edition of ElectionSpeakers.com, the place to hear unique critique of the speaking styles of candidates and others who are part of this presidential campaign. Today is September 1st, Labor Day 2008, and this is a special edition of electionspeakers.com. We want to focus a little bit more and a little bit more in depth on some of the very special speakers who the Democratic National Convention or which featured these folks at the convention of this past week. So joining me around the round table again are of course our my co-host, Lori Schlaff, professional speech coach and author. Great to be here. Around the table, Laverne Gospe, another professional speech coach. Glad to have you here, Laverne. Glad to be here. And La Lapidus, our professional speech coach and professional actress, by the way, <laughs> joining us. Thank you all very much. Good morning. So let's talk a little bit about the specific speakers of this particular week. Lori. Uh, lead us through, if you would. I'm going to pass this over to you because we all have things that we want to say about the individual speakers, particularly the key ones, such as Barack and Hillary sure, and sure. some of the others. Go ahead.
2: Well, I'd love to leave my colleagues in a discussion. Let's start from the top. Let's talk about Barack's speech. Everyone has great expectations for Barack Obama as a fantastic public speaker. My question to my colleagues is, was he a fantastic public speaker? What grade would you give him uh, from A to F? I'm sure he would never get any Fs. Uh, What did you like about his speaking style? And, folks, we divide looking at speaking style into how somebody looks, so their nonverbal communication, their oral image, how they sound, and, of course, their
0: message. Who would like to begin? You know, I'd like to talk about this this charisma that this guy has. I don't think anyone can argue that, whether you're on Baroque or not, he is a phenomenal speaker, a phenomenal communicator. And there are some specific reasons why. I mean, one is he can capture polish, polish in not just aesthetically the way he looks, the way his body moves, but the sound of his language, he is articulate. He forms his words clearly, fully. He doesn't speak too fast. These are all the things we're looking at as a speech coach that makes an excellent grade A speaker. But what's interesting about a Barack is he's the guy next door as well. He captures you as if you went to school with him. You, know, you knew him growing up. Uh, he's talking about issues and challenges that we all care about. And this is called empathy. This is, from our point of view, everything when you're getting ready for your formal or informal presentation. I'm, I'm guessing you're okay. giving a high grade. I'm going to go with an A. <laughs> I've really? got to go oh, with oh, an oh, A. No, but but that doesn't mean every speech is an A. It means he's a grade A communicator. Okay. Well, okay, I, don't know. Let's, I
1: mean, I'm not saying yes or no to the A, but I, I want to uh, take a little bit of an issue about his articulation. Now, let me ask you a lot. Do you think it's on purpose that he drops his ing endings?
0: Absolutely. That's a great question, Dennis. Talk and, and I joining. I think it's very specific. I I in fact, he he is, I believe, coached to do that. Why? Because when we get back to empathy, and empathy is not sympathy. Empathy is really Stepping into someone's shoes who is listening to you, who is looking at you, who wants to believe in you, it's saying to that person, I've been where you've been. I've lived that life you've lived. I know how you're thinking and feeling. So, the dropping walk, of, hold on, let me, talking, well, there, well, let me tell that? you, Dennis, the dropping of the ING is specific, it is regionally specific to certain geographical areas where people <laughs> live and talk that way. Uh, so, that is a specific
2: technique. Know. Laverne, first of all, let, let listeners know where you grew up and weigh in on
1: this.
3: Yes, I grew up in Marble, Arkansas, and the southern accent and dropping INGs was very common. I, I did notice that about him, I and I'm wondering what is happening there. I, I'm not sure if he's doing it on purpose, but yes, it's, it's something that... We can talk, talk to
0: This guy, I just have to chime in and say, this guy is an Ivy League guy. This yes. is a top-notch guy. This is a guy that swims in many circles, in many areas, and he wouldn't normally speak this way yeah, on a daily basis. He knows, he knows the, the difference. difference. Okay. And, oh, and sure. I just have to say one more thing. Sure. This is, I this is what I would coin as an Oprahism. And Oprahism I've, is being able, and Oprah has done this for many years, Being able to turn on and off the sound and the language of where she comes from based on who she's talking to. Fascinating. Right, we call that, um, in speech
2: pathology, we call that
0: code switching.
2: You
3: switch the code depending on
1: who you're talking to. It certainly makes him feel very natural in conversation. Yeah, it does.
3: I would give him a very high rating as well. Simply because he he walks in with that bounce and enthusiasm. And he has a very good command of the speech. He has inflection. His hand movements were great. He used rate and pace. There was one section there where he paused for just a second so he could get the audience going and chanting. And he was very good at it, and he smiled because he knew it, and he smiled at that point. What
2: grade?
3: Make a commitment. A, I'd say an A mi- minus. A yes. minus, not so she, perfect. Yeah, she almost, <laughs> said, she, a, she a, almost said A said,
1: minus. She's, she's a, a tough, yeah, 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 <laughs> tough marker. A, I did, I did. a minus. <laughs> I <Right. laughs> well, right. tell you more thoughts uh, about Barack. Yes, Harris. absolutely. And I, I want to tell you the, yeah. some of the technical things about his talk, yes. which I think worked well at least at the DNC, and we'll see how he does with it. This was. I got to think about the, the the venue in which this speech took place. Unbelievable. First time in history, 84,000 people in a huge, huge stadium, all right, in addition to the historic nature of it, of why he was there and and who he is, it's just the idea of talking in such a huge venue. That alone takes a skill, the ability to, to roll with applause, laughter, noise. And remember uh, when he was in Dublin, Ohio the next day, a huge turnout, someone fainted. What did he do? He went right with that. He recognized the faint. He tossed a bottle of water out. Uh, this guy knows how to handle the large venues. You've got to give him credit for that. Now, here are a couple things I think he needs to be careful of. And this is, I think a lot of the speakers, Gore had trouble with this, Bill Clinton had, he was probably the better Bill Clinton. Hillary has trouble with this. Talking over applause. Al Gore drove me crazy with this. People are applauding, and he's talking. Uh, now, I don't mean that you have to be absolutely silent every time somebody talks, but when they uh, when they applaud, but when they applaud, but when people are applauding, they are in a sense saying to the speaker, "I like what you say. I approve what you are saying." All right. So there is a technique that says, "If you like it, you'll like this even better," and they get even louder. But there were times when I thought the applause needed to go longer and uh, Barack did not give enough time to those kinds of things on the other hand here's a guy who i thought uses who who used pacing very well now for listener's sake pacing uh, is essentially it's pausing it's the speed that a listener a speaker gives between thoughts like that right there. I gave you a pause. I said nothing. So that in, in, in a more complicated speech, you can r- recognize, you can figure out, file away what was just said before the next thought comes. Barack does this very well. He uses pausing very well. And uh, uh, Laverne, I know you had a concern about his use of the teleprompter. Before right. we talk about it, before I talk about it, what do you think about the teleprompter?
3: Well, we could certainly see where they were. They were oscillating back and forth from right... To left. In Obama's case, though, he did it. He did it well. And when he wanted to make a point a few times, I noticed he looked directly into the camera, and I thought that was... Well, you
1: know, there was a teleprompter directly into the camera. There were two teleprompters, as I think everybody knows, one on the left and the right. These are called presidential paddles. Almost everybody has those. But straight down the front, probably about 20 yards from him, from all the speakers, was a huge screen, probably six... 4 by 8 or something like a huge screen, and that was a teleprompter. Mm -hmm. I thought he and Bill Clinton in particular made excellent use of that center teleprompter, Yes, looking right into that camera, as Laverne says, to make a particular point. He's really good at that part.
2: This is Laurie weighing in. I want to make a developmental observation about Obama. What do I mean by that? I've been watching him now for 18 months. I feel, and I'm sure it's purposeful, his overall nonverbal style has simply gotten stronger. He has less frequent gestures, his gestures are stronger, and let me say the opposite of it. I often thought at the beginning his gestures were, forgive me, slightly wimpy. He does much less head tilting, he has more of a a strong head, and his voice remains consistently strong. And on a funny note, one thing I admire about this guy, he doesn't seem to
1: sweat! (laughs) (laughs) Which is a big concern our clients have uh, When they're speaking in front of 80,000 people Imagine, in front of eight people That can make people sweat You know, the teleprompter thing I happened to measure this Talk about being a freak about A junkie about politics and speakers I measured it The guy, and he's getting better at this too, by the way, Laurie When he uses teleprompters left and right You watch watch and see if I'm not right He'll turn his head from left to right left to right, almost rhythmically, every three to four seconds, he turns from left to right, to left mm-hmm. to right. This is something I think he really has to stop. It, it makes the, a, a, any speaker, any particularly politicians, McCain does the same thing. It makes it look rehearsed, practiced. I don't know what I'm saying if I can't read it. And uh, it's, a, it's a habit that he has developed, which, of course, he's, he's good at reading, but the teleprompter left and right, I think, has got to really change.
2: OK. Uh and your grade for Barack Obama, Dr.
1: Well, Dennis Becker. I, I think that this guy ha- is capable of even better. Okay. I like the speech that he did in O four better than this one. I'm gonna give him a B plus. A B plus
2: relative to himself, I yes, is what I Yes, Relative him to saying.
1: himself, absolutely. Well,
2: okay, I want to move on to Hillary Clinton. It was an important speech and that everyone was talking about it. What would she say? How would she say it? What would she wear? That actually got the most comment of all, that orange pantsuit. Uh, I'd like to hear from my colleagues again. What's your grade on Hillary's speech? What did you like about her delivery style? What didn't you like?
1: Well, I'll start a little Just to give you one quick thing, talking about Pantsuit. I mean, this was a... Did you all hear one of the best lines that she had? I, I don't know who wrote this line. It was a great line or speechwriter. Something about... Uh, and I want to thank you, so thank you. Thank all of you who are in the sisterhood of traveling pantsuits. Loved it. I mean, I thought it was clever. Loved it. It was I think it's a
3: movie as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. it worked well for. Her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did. Um, and you know, she's been doing this consistently throughout her campaign, wearing the the pantsuits and uh, speaking about it as well. I thought her her appearance was good, very good. I thought that um, her speech was, was great too, as, we talk, as we've talked about in the past, but inflection was not there. I was disappointed. So if I were to rate her as far as that's concerned compared to the others, I would give her a B. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you know, it's interesting, Laverne, when I, when
0: I look at the progression over the years of Hillary talking to an audience and I say specifically to an audience rather than with an audience. This is one of her major downfalls and I'm quite certain the thing that she's been coached on for many years in that When you are talking with an audience, one of your major responsibilities is really to engage that audience as much as you possibly can. And one really simple technique that we use is to ask your speaker to smile. When your speaker smiles, and it's interesting because when she's coached, look more informal, look more approachable, look nicer, look kinder, look sweeter, all you have to do is say, smile. Because if you notice, when she speaks, she just doesn't smile that much. And when we smile, it's such a technical tool to get the voice, to go higher in pitch, but also to give you a more approachable aesthetic and sound. Law, this is Lori weighing in. See, this is where I see this as a generational
2: thing. And here's the way I see it. In order for a woman of her generation, I think she's either 60 or pushing 60, you had to be strong and tough to make it in a man's world. And this is why Sarah, Sarah Palin, again, regardless of what you think of her politics, she is the new female communicator. And she
0: has a few lessons that I hear you saying she could teach Hillary. Well, the thing about Sarah Palin is, and I have, yeah. I have yet to really see this whole thing unfold before I can really make some solid commentary on her communication skills. The one thing I see about... Uh, Sarah Palin, that concerns me a bit, is she speaks shirt sleeve English, which means it's everyday colloquial, you know, English that you would hear the average person talking in the mall, which is great. That's going to appeal to a particular population of people who listen to that, who speak that, who understand that, who are as comfortable with that. The fascinating thing is the very population she is appealing to or trying to appeal to with her language, that is the soccer mom, the hockey mom, the football mom. A lot of these moms we see are highly, highly educated people coming out of these corporations that don't speak shirt sleeve English. They speak English of corporate language. And so I'm wondering what's going to happen with her over time. Is she going to gain that vote because of the communication she's choosing? Or is she going to lose it? Because she's not using the most polished language she could
2: Beautiful, I mean there's no doubt We we who are watching female communicators in this millennium Have an awful lot to watch You have Hillary Clinton who's been criticized for formality, rigidness and stiffness And now you have Sarah Palin on the scene Who is literally the opposite Any more
0: comments before we move on? I I do want to jump in and just say one more thing, since I had mentioned the hockey mom. She specifically said in her speech, and I'm one of the hockey moms, which is Mm. a a great empathy technique, again, to get those women in the audience who are hockey moms on board. However, the problem is, what if we're not a hockey mom? What if we don't know what hockey moms do or say or care about? And there's a lot of people in the United States who are not hockey moms. So when we give presentations, we have to be really careful of being that specific characterization-wise in our language. Hey, look, you got George Bush elected.
1: George Bush was the guy everybody wanted to have a beard with and invite to the bar Well, at any rate, look what that did yeah. for us. Yeah. Uh, might you know, what you got to be careful of with, with uh, Sarah Palin, and then we sure. And then we'll Hillary. go on to uh, uh, <clears throat> you know what you know how they're framing her. Have you noticed mm-hmm. not only the hockey mom tag, but now others are starting to use two terms, two different terms, to refer to her. Try to build her up. One, they're calling her the and watch how many times you hear this word reformer, reformer okay and the second term you're going to hear is commander-in-chief because that's what of course they want her to be commander-in-chief of what of oh, the Alaska National Guard well okay I'm not gonna comment <laughs> on those two terms but
2: Your is, shown, I'm is it?
1: trying to tell you these are two terms that people will use to sell her okay now uh, back to Hillary can we do that please quickly let's Always. get back because it is a great comparison you're mentioning mm-hmm. uh, Hillary needs to learn also how to not talk over the applause mm-hmm. She doesn't know how to do it. She missed two really good phrases. The whole comment about Twin Cities, and Bush and McCain are twins. It's a good thing they're having it in the Twin city because it was a great comment. It got lost. We heard it at home because we hear the live feed over telephone uh, television. In the, in the room, how many people could hear that? Because it was lost in the crowd. Keep going, another term that kept going with her. She lost it, and yet the audience wanted to say it more and more and more. Uh, They started out, she said, do you want more of this? And they'd say, no. Do you want more of this? They'd say, no. It was a call-out, kind of a rhetorical redundancy, that she fell into by accident. She didn't do it because it was a technique. She fell into it. I think it's a great technique. She just didn't use it very well.
0: I'd like to comment on sure. the, the, this, law. the clapping, which is a very interesting thing and something we don't talk about a whole lot about with clients, but they go off and experience when they give a presentation. And that is, how do I know how much response I'm going to get? response could be a clap, it could be a laugh, it could be someone yelling out something impromptu. How do I know how to deal with these things when they happen? And that's a very interesting thing. I mean, there's actually a technique called riding the laugh, or you could say riding right. the, clap, the clap, that yeah. there is a certain amount of seconds that would be accurate to wait before you cut that audience off. Right. Now it's anyone's guess whether it's strategic or not to have, say, Bill Clinton letting that clap go for five, seven, eight minutes in length versus Barack, who steps right over it because he knows he's got a, a specific time frame. He's got to get to his speaking. Which one is correct? Well, it depends. It depends on what their agendas are and what their strategies uh, all are. All I'm thinking on behalf of our clients is we should all be so lucky, right, <laughs> to have
2: the problem of when to stop the clapping. But the Great <laughs> Comments Law. Now, I know my colleague, Dr. Dennis Becker, has been dying to talk about the keynote speaker, well, Mark Warner. I mean,
1: uh, look, uh, let's face it. The guy is supposed to be the keynote speaker. What does that mean? In any convention, at any convention, any conference, when you have a person who's designated as the keynote speaker, what does that mean? Well, the word, the term keynote, folks, comes from the orchestra setting. What's that? Person comes out before the concert begins and strikes a note. Everybody else in the orchestra is sort of keys to that note, right? So that we're all when the when the when the conductor comes out, we're all in the same. We can start together. Okay. This guy and any keynote speaker is supposed to do the same. You come to a convention, you come to a conference, you set the tone that everybody else goes with. You set the note that everybody else wants to follow key off of. Mark Warner, hello. I don't think he did any of that stuff. This guy was a boring speaker, in my opinion. He was mono-patterned. He repeated inflection, volume, pausing, pacing, rate, everything. Just repeated. And you notice... He had applause lines built into his speech where they do like this. They say, and this was an applause line. And they stop. They go down an inflection and they stop. And what happened? With him, that's what happened. <laughs> Nothing. All of a sudden, you get a little bit of, oh, yeah, right, right, right. And they all had, he had very few spontaneous applause, Why, very little of that. Why? Because the guy didn't know how to work as a keynoter, he did not get them fired up. He didn't say any, I thought he said too much about Virginia. You know, I just, it just didn't work for me talking in phrases. So what grade? Talking, oh my goodness, I'm going to give this guy a D. Oh
2: my. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, definitely <laughs> not, not a good keynote. Not,
2: not great for a keynoter. You know, I want to ask my colleagues, um, on behalf of our listeners, what can we learn? You already taught us a few things about teleprompters and, and clapping, if there's too much clapping going on or too little. What can we learn about public speaking that our listeners of electionspeaker.com would be interested in? What are a couple of do's and don'ts?
1: Well, from I, I think public. Let's, let's face it. I, I remember doing an, a, an interview one time for NBC where the reporter came and said we were doing some program. I forget what it was about. That's years ago. Guy came in and he said, "Dr. Berger, what's the uh, cause of the fear of public speaking?" And I said, "I don't know." I guess he thought I didn't understand the question. He said, <clears throat> uh, Dr. Becker, a lot of people suffer from this. Well, what's the cause of the fear of public speaking? He repeated the question. I said, I don't know. I think this freak the reporter about a little bit said, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Bob, can you cut the camera there for a second? Uh, I thought, And he wanted to explain to me what his question was. And I said, look, if I answer the question, what's the cause of the fear of public speaking, that implies that there's something else called private speaking. And I have no idea what that is. The point is, everything is public speaking. Every time you talk, you're giving public your thoughts. So I know what we're talking about, we did public speaking, we're talking about big venue, you know, all mm-hmm. that. stuff. I get it, I understand that. But the, the answer to your question is that if you begin, and I think this is what Law was talking about earlier, the, the naturalness that comes through, that helps to make people effective in small groups, or one-on-one, or one or two or three, mm-hmm. is the same kind of skill that you need to be able to a little bit, tweak a little bit, for a large group. I don't care if it's eight people, 84 or 84,000. There's a skill set that goes from everything from articulation of ING sounds to handling applause lines. That's what we have to judge. And when you look at a good speaker, does he or she have the ability to do that? Hmm.
2: Very, very unique perspective. So we all could could do it if we sort of trust our instincts in everyday life. We all could get up in front of a
1: crowd. It's all public speaking.
0: Law, your thoughts about this? Yeah, Dennis reminded me of something that that is very, very interesting to me, at least as a coach. I have a professional theater background, and it's fascinating. For any of you out there who have studied Shakespeare, and I'm sure many of you have at least heard of Shakespeare, seen some plays or read some books, what's fascinating to me is when Shakespeare wrote his plays, his texts, they were all written, and for those of you who have seen a play, understand this, they were all written in the mindset of public. Public versus private, meaning that you cannot find a Shakespeare play that is private in nature. Anything that is written in Shakespeare is performed with all sorts of people present. The court, the, the, the lackeys, the whatever it is. Well, how does this relate to what we're talking about here? Well, I'll tell you, it's very interesting. We have this notion here in in corporate America when we give a presentation, we have this notion of... Being public, being public is very nerve wracking to people. We're used to privacy. We're used to absolutely the opposite than what we saw in the 17th century texts of Europe. We are used to that because of the media influence. Everything that's happening through television, through film, that we're used to seeing our generations is happening in private. That's what we're seeing. So to go in front of an audience is terrifying. It's very scary. Whereas 200 years ago, this is what people did. Everything was public address. There was no radio, no TV, no. Everything was storytelling. Everything was speaking in front of a group, everything. So, I don't know if that's helpful at all other than to say, keep in mind, what we are doing today feels unnatural because it is unnatural so, to us.
2: So, in other words, what what you're saying is so respect that within in ourselves, in terms of our human history, is this ability to be in front of people, and maybe if we all just practice just a little bit.
0: And practice you know, a
2: lot to, to feel natural. Not that we're going to end up at a convention one day, but... Yeah, some good role I models
3: there. Succinctly put, I would say have a passion for your subject and practice, practice, practice. Some of us may have seen Hillary. She was there, she was setting up. We know that she had mm-hmm. uh, time to practice. The same thing happened with Michelle. We heard how she started her speech uh, two or three weeks ago. So, once again, have a passion for your subject and practice, practice, practice. Right. Well, you I'd talk like about passion. What
1: about Barry Schweitzer? Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> Governor Mike Montana. My colleague,
2: Yep, loved yeah.
1: Brian Schweitzer uh, from Montana. Brian, I mean, this guy—talk yeah. about yeah. passion. Yeah. Yeah. Some folks said he was sort yeah. of with a know, capital P. Some people think he's sort of off the screen with this whole thing. Maybe he was, but he—I thought he was quite appropriate for that setting. He was more concerned with the people in that room than he was with the people on the screen. Now, And, and to me, that was appropriate, and it played well on television. I, I love the guy's passion, and I thought his technique right. of getting the audience involved and standing up and shouting, I thought it was just great. And it was a short speech. That was terrific. Right. So
2: listeners, if you can tune in to Governor Brian Schweitzer of Montana's speech on YouTube or so, uh, some other media outlet... You may learn a lot, according to Dr. Dennis Becker. I want to end with one of Barack Obama's quotes, and just just go around quickly, and what does it mean to you in terms of what our listeners can learn about election speaking? One of his quotes, it's not
0: about me, where's this election, it's about you. Any comments? I would always say it's always about the other, the other meaning the listener. The people, the people who are your audience or your listener, it is always about them. What, what, are the, what do they need? What are they looking for? Uh, in this case, what would get their vote? Well, it's you listening to them. And the more the speaker lets the audience know that they are listening to them, they're listening to what they're talking about, they're listening to their needs, they're listening to their wants, their desires, uh, the more chance they have to get elected. And that's true across the board.
3: Yeah, I totally agree. It's all about my audience when I'm speaking. If I'm not getting the subject matter across to you, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: I think it says it all. It's not about me, it's about you. Though most of us feel self-conscious when people are listening to us, maybe our goal is to be other-conscious. What can I say that will help the folks in the audience connect to this message? And I think we're all agreeing. We all gave Barack Obama high marks. No matter what you think of his politics, he got high grades for that connection.
1: Yeah, And deservedly so. I mean, the guy did a good job with that speech, and he is a good speaker. And some of yeah. the things you've heard us talk about here today are reasons why he's a good speaker, others are good speakers or not. And that's one of the purposes of this Electionspeakers.com is designed to give you folks listening some extra ammunition, some extra thoughts, some extra evidence as to why you make the voting decision that you do. If you have comments and things you'd like to say to us about uh, what you think about the speakers, we'd love to hear from you. We're hearing from a lot of folks around the world, so please don't hesitate. The easy thing is address your email to comments at electionspeakers.com. That's comments at electionspeakers.com. We love to hear from you, and uh, in answer to your question, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's not, and uh, this is why I get so upset when it's not about I, me. it's not about me, it is about other people, and I get so upset when I hear this, this disingenuous stuff about, from McCain, from my friends, my friends, from uh, Biden, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, I mean those things become disingenuous, it feels too techniquey, more about them than about the listener. So these are the kind of things that we're all listening for as professional coaches, and we hope you will do the same until you join us again next time. And until next time, this is Dr. Dennis Becker saying thanks for listening and bye for now.
0: You've been listening to electionspeakers.com, a nonpartisan analysis of the speaking skills of major political candidates and others included in the 2008 U.S. presidential elections. Electionspeakers.com is posted every Monday.